Hi everyone, welcome back to Comedy on Vinyl. This is your host, Jason Klom. I just want to give you a few things uh, up top. This is the great Neil Ross. He is, uh, well, you've heard his voice. You've heard it a million times. You might not have known it, but you've heard it. Um, he He's done voices in every cartoon that you can possibly name. He's also a voice in uh, Back to the Future 2, uh, which is one of the things I got super excited about, even though it's a very, you know, it's, it's a small voice, but it doesn't matter. There are, all no, no, there are no small voices, only small voices. He did voices in the Transformers, G.I. Joe. Uh, if you want to go back to stuff when you were a kid, uh, if you're as old as I am, that's when you were a kid. Uh, Darkwing Duck. Uh, it's Go to IMDb, search Neil Ross. It'll be obvious uh, why I wanted to talk to him. Uh, what won't be obvious necessarily is the album that we picked. Uh, we picked. He picked it. It's variously uh, referred to as the Grand Prix of Gibraltar or the Grand Prix of Rock. Um, and it is by Peter Ustinov, which you may, Sir Peter Ustinov, which you might not think of that. He's done plenty of comedy, but you don't necessarily think of him as a man who would sit down for an hour and uh, do every voice uh, the Noises of Cars. It's a very strange album. Um, you might call it a concept album. It's very odd, but very funny. Uh, there's a lot of really great stuff in it, and it's they're just the versatility is why Neil wanted to talk about it. Um, there are a couple issues in quality with this episode. We were having uh, some recorder issues, and my backup failed. So what you're unfortunately it cuts off at the end. And uh, so I apologize to Neil Ross for that. Apologize, obviously, to you guys for that. Um, but I hope to have him back on again because it was a lot of fun. It's a remote, so uh, you know you're you're hearing me as you hear me now. You're hearing him through Skype, which does not do his voice justice. Um, but it, it's a fun episode. We talked about a lot of different things. His years in radio, and I hope you enjoy it, uh, despite it being cut off. I think it's a, it's a really great episode. Uh, the other thing is I wanted to give you a heads up. That Stolen Dress Entertainment, the production company, uh, my production company that does all of our podcasts, including this, Dan and Jay's Comedy Hour, and the uh, the irregularly produced Vice Presidents, the podcast. Uh, we have another podcast coming up uh, starting next Tuesday. It's called Pratt Falls of Parenting. It's from Levi Weinhagen, who's a Minneapolis-based comic, and uh, his podcast has been around for a long time as well. And uh, basically, he talks to uh, other comedy people, uh, and they talk about comedy, but they also talk about raising a family uh, while you're in comedy, which I thought was a really cool, unique perspective. I'm not a parent myself, but uh, the fact that it was interesting to listen to spoke volumes. So I hope you guys enjoy that. So it's now going to be a Stolen Dress podcast starting uh, Tuesday, the 17th. So it's going to be great. Uh, so check that out. Uh, it'll be at StolenDress.com. You can also go to PrattFallsOfParenting.com. Uh, follow them on Twitter at PrattsOfParent. Check that out. Say hi to Levi and enjoy the show. Leave some pleasant reviews and rate it highly. Thank you guys so much for listening and enjoy this episode with Neil Ross. Everybody, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, I am uh, lucky to have Neil Ross with me. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Uh, I'm I'm excited that 
you picked an album that I've only seen in stores and had never really thought enough to actually purchase it or listen to it. And uh, it's Peter. U First of all, it's Peter Ustinov, which people don't really think of him as a comedian, maybe a comic presence in some things, but they don't think of him as a man who might have put together a comic album. No, he was a very witty uh, fellow. He was a, a, one of those great gifts to talk shows. Right. Because he could just go on at great lengths and be very funny and, and entertaining. He was, uh, I guess, a playwright, an actor, a director. But he was a hell of a raconteur. But you're right, he was not someone you thought of as being a comedian or someone who would possibly make a comedy record. And I, to this, I've never been able to find out how all of this happened. Right. Yeah. And I, I was, I was trying to find that out myself. There's only, there's only brief snippets online about uh, just even about it at all. Uh, we should probably say the name of it. It's, it's, it looks like it's under two titles, uh, either the Grand Prix du Rock or Grand Prix of Gibraltar. Either way, uh, hilarious. Uh, and, and it, but it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's the news coverage of a Grand Prix type race at the Rock of Gibraltar. And Which is absurd on the face. It's of it. amazing. Last <laughs> place on earth you'd have a, a sports car race, but yeah, it's it's sort of a satire of the radio coverage. And Ustinov plays every character and does every sound effect that you hear on the album. And, and it's it's an absolute tour de force. It's amazing because I I also had no idea that the man spoke. I mean, I, I looked it up and he. He's got more of an academic background in, in accents because he actually spoke so many of the languages. He's sort of the opposite end of the spectrum that Sid Caesar was on. He actually knew a lot of these languages that he was then sort of that he was then mimicking the accents of, which is right. kind of he must have been uh, some sort of a savant. It's insane. Yeah, supposedly Sid Caesar, uh, if I remember the story correctly, his family owned a restaurant. Yeah, and. It was in an area where there were many, many immigrants, and he would hear uh, German, Polish, uh, Russian people speaking, and he, would, he didn't know the languages, but he was able to mimic the sound. It was gibberish, but it mm -hmm. sounded like Russian or German or what have you. And and so good that I mean I don't think to this day even anybody would look at it and and think of it as old timey offensive sort of uh, you know ethnic jokes. It wasn't that. It was just isn't it amazing that this sounds so fun and interesting and new and different? And isn't it also amazing that I can convince uh, some people who don't know any better that I'm speaking the language? Yeah. Yeah. He apparently would have his parents in stitches when he would do impressions of the people that came into the into the restaurant yeah i think i read that in his autobiography it's it's one of the one of my favorite parts of it too just uh, just how this innocent little kid just and that, that that's what got him started too just sort of almost out of necessity and it kept people there kept people coming back well that's your first audience is your is your parents that is true that is now, true. They're, a, they're a tough crowd let me tell you <laughs> So uh, let's then talk. I mean, uh, in, in case people don't know, I mean, you're a, vo you're a voice actor, and you've been doing it forever. I mean, you've been you going back to the early days of any cartoon that I can remember watching as a kid, and obviously not limited to cartoons, of course. But I mean, we can go back to Transformers, we can go back to GI Joe, some of the Smurfs, and then you know up till today, you're I mean, even a little thing in Back to the Future too, which is of particular interest to me, even though it's probably one of those things that you just recorded and and we're done with, like a lot of things. But um, 
this obviously had to have had a pretty big impact on you. Yeah, well, sort of uh, tracing the the history of of the whole thing. Uh, I was raised in Montreal, Canada, up to the age of twelve, mm-hmm. and we didn't have a television most of the time. My parents didn't want one in the house. Okay. So, uh, other than books, I had the radio and I had a record player, and of course, I could hear the CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, and they broadcast a lot of stuff from the BBC. Mm-hmm. And as a young kid, I had no interest in music. It bored me. And so I would tune around listening to hear people talk, even if I didn't understand what they were talking about. And I found myself at a very early age fascinated by voices and accents and how different they all were. And then a huge, uh, this this isn't a record. Of, ultimately, this stuff did get released on record and CD and what have you. But we stumbled one night across The Goon Show. Oh. And I I assume you're familiar with that. Yes, I am. And, uh, you know, my dad and I did not have a good relationship, but we did share a similar sense of humor. Okay. uh, We both loved that show. My mother detested it. Ah. (laughs) The Goon Show was sort of one of those things you either got into or you didn't. Sure. Uh, she, She didn't have any use for it, but we thought it was hilarious. It featured a very young, then unknown Peter Sellers who did something like 12 or 15 different characters. <laughs> I know. Oh, insane. And they're all such different strange voices, too. That was the other thing. They're so surreal. They, they were strange and they were surreal, but I, the, the thing was, they were so well delineated yes. that they became, they became real to you. Of course, yeah. But you could form a mental picture. I, you could see them. And it's kind of the same th- but, well, anyway... I should back up and say that the Goon Show was not available to me on record in those days. Right. We sat, we listened, it was over and it was gone, and you might never hear it again. I mean, you'd hear the next episode next week. But when I got a hold of the Peter Ustinov album, now suddenly I had something that I could hear over and over and over again whenever I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I listened to the, that thing compulsively, I must have listened to it a couple of hundred times, not even really knowing why. Yeah. I would be doing something in my room making a balsa wood plane, but I would have that record playing in the background. And then suddenly, uh, one day uh, in middle school, I would be entertaining my little friends with a dirty joke, and I'd realize that I could punch it up with a voice or an (laughs) accent. And, of course, all the voices and accents were ma- basically me doing Peter Ustinov. <laughs> and that was sort of the beginning. That's... So it's hugely, hugely important into leading into what came later in my life. And uh, the other interesting thing is it, it's one of these albums that's obviously quite funny, but it, 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 is, it would be, I think, for our, maybe for a lot of people in a modern audience, a bit dry. It may be hard to get into. It took me a minute until I realized what he was doing because uh, I hadn't read up on it. I just started listening to it blind and just listened and listened. And once I realized what was going on, that's, that's when I started to think about it more. But it... I, I mean, I was even shocked at how uh, how good his, his American was, if only because, uh, you know, that's hard to do, to get your R's just right. Yeah, it's a funny, it's a funny thing. You did not hear convincing American accents from, from Brits for a long time, but the first two that I heard were Peter Sellers 
and Peter Ustinov, I, I could not detect a false note in what they were doing. Right. And it was surprising because at that time, you would hear British people try to do an American accent, and, and they just couldn't quite pull it off. But those two guys could. Now, when you, it's, I mean, a, a lot of it obviously is accent work. When is the first time you heard, I mean, it's it's not just accent work, it's clearly character work, but, I mean, for a guy who's worked in cartoons, were, I mean, you weren't watching much in the way of television then, so when when did you first get access to that kind of, that kind of media, that kind of culture? Cartoons? Mm-hmm. Never, really. Um... I guess I would would see them, well, let me think, because in Montreal at that time, there had been a terrible fire in a theater in the 40s, and they wrote a bunch of draconian laws, I don't know if they're still in effect, but no one under 16 could go to a movie unless they put on 50 extra ushers and and did all kinds of things. Wow. So even Disney movies sometimes that came to Canada, you couldn't get into if you were a kid because they just didn't want to put on the extra help. That's insane. That is crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, I saw very few movies growing up, and that's where you would have seen the cartoons. And by the time we got a television set, I was a little too old for that stuff. Mm -hmm. So now I've told, I've said this before in other interviews, truth be told, I would love to have been born, I don't know, 30, 40 years earlier than I was and, and, and have been a radio actor. I think that would have been the perfect job for me. Yeah. I listen to these old-time radio shows, and I think, God, I'd love to have been there and done some of that. Well, not since the dawn of motoring has this sound been heard near the fabled rock of Gibraltar. An enlightened governor, Sir Reginald Buller Cowley, initiated the first Grand Prix du Rock in 1906, but perhaps his enthusiasm overrode his sense of the practical since in the very first lap, D'Ambrosio on the 750-horsepower 22.1-liter three-cylinder Balzano, hot favorite in the voiturette class, missed the corner near the Methodist Chapel and motored gently into the water. He was soon joined by some of the competitors in the larger cars, Walter Freeston, later Lord Gunnett, on the Doubleday Squires, Capolavoro on the 73-liter La Merveilleuse, Farn Schlitzenberg to Braunhof on the little 42-liter Valhalla, Prince Pazzo Delazillo on the quaint S-A-A-E-C-V-B, standing for Société Anonyme des Anciens Etablissements des Constructeurs de Voitures en Bois, with its revolutionary wooden engine. So the closest I could get to it was animation work, and I, I tell people, listen, to me it's a radio show. Yeah. Some guy wants to draw a picture later, that's that's <laughs> his business. But I'm doing a radio show here. That's perfect. I mean, that's, uh, you know, uh, everybody has their own perspective on how, how to act, uh, how to be a voice actor. A lot of people obviously don't quite understand it. They, they assume it's reading. They assume that their inflection is proper, but they don't realize that the imagination that has to go into it. And uh, it, it's uh, I'm, being raised on that kind of uh, that kind of media has had to have 
I don't know. I, I, I think that that gives you a, a huge leg up. It must have given you a huge leg up to not necessarily depend on the images that other people applied to it. I guess, yeah. It it It's sort of tough to visualize what I would have ended up doing had I had a completely different upbringing. Of course. But it, yeah, you. It is a different kind of acting. Mm-hmm. I, I just saw a thing in the paper a few days ago. It was an interview with Morgan Freeman, who has just done his first animation work. Wow! And I'm, yeah. They said it's surprising, considering how long he's been around and all the stuff he's done. He's never done animation before. But right. What was the experience like? And I'm paraphrasing, but he said it was quite frightening because <laughs> he said, uh, "Well, there was just all these." You know, various writers and engineers and this uh, very bright young woman producer, but no other actors. Just me alone in this little booth, and it it's terrifying. Nothing to play off of. Nothing, yeah, nothing to play off of. And, uh... What do you do in that case? I, you know, that that is something I, I guess people don't think about. I, other than, say, use your imagination. I mean, that's all you can do at that point, I assume. Well, I mean, it sounds like, you know, a facile thing to say, but it's absolutely true. You have to use your imagination. You have to see these characters in your mind's eye. You have to, in a way, become them. I just watched a documentary on the goons. Mm Mm-hmm. And for those who are not familiar with it, by the way, goon in this country means somebody who breaks your legs if you don't pay your gambling debts. <laughs> right. In England, it, it means <clears throat> like a fool or an idiot. You know, you might call it the idiot show if you did it in America. Sure. It's a, v- a very funny, surrealistic radio comedy show that influenced uh, tons of other British performers. All the guys in Monty Python were huge fans of the goon show. Uh, and and shameless rip-off artists of them, you know, they did not care. But there was an interview with Spike Milligan, who was the guy who wrote most of the scripts, and he was talking about watching Peter Sellers' work, and he said he literally would contort his face and body and become these these people. Uh, and, and, and that's kind of what you have to do. It's almost, I suppose, to put it in an on-camera context, it would be like working against a green screen as opposed to having the real set there. Right, right. And the director says, all right, uh, there's a big castle behind you, and uh, there's a giant monster looming over it. Of course, you can't see any of that, but we need you to react to it. Right. And, um, and that's it's, a, it's such a common complaint now, too, that, oh, I'll, I don't have anything to play off of. And I, while I understand that complaint, it is funny to just think about how many people have been doing that for years and they don't worry about it. Well, I won't say they don't worry about it, but they can handle it. Well, of course, playing off other actors is tremendously helpful. Of course. <clears throat> that's one of the things that they do in, in feature animation, and I think they, they sort of rob themselves of what could be magic. They'll bring people in one at a time, and you do your lines without the other actor there, and mm-hmm. then somebody glues the scene together. But, you know, I did a, I did a part in uh, a movie quite a long time ago called An American Tale, mm-hmm. and I had scenes with Madeline Kahn. I was going to bring that up. And I never met her. Oh. Uh, we did not work together. She was recorded somewhere, and I was recorded somewhere, and it was yeah. patched together. It it works. It's sure. fine. I just can't help but think 
if they put the two of us together in a in a studio, maybe something even better might have happened. Of I course. don't know. Oh my goodness. I would have listened to what she was doing, she would have listened to what I was doing, and maybe mad more magic would have happened. I don't know. But. Right. Oh my goodness. That's just it, it, it's it's heartbreaking to know that that you didn't get to, but I mean, <clears throat> again, it, it's a testament to to voice work that it, you know, obviously I would never have noticed. Um, do you, uh, something I was also curious curious about that was long enough ago. Can do you have any of these voices? Uh, I mean, maybe I don't know if you reuse them in any way, but I mean, do you have these old voices stored in your head that you could pull them up, or is it a matter of oh, I'll listen to a scene and I could probably do it again? Well, the best description of what we do comes from an actor named Michael Bell mm -hmm. who uh, has had a long and storied career in voiceovers and he's put a lot of thought into what he does. He, he gives classes. He's an excellent teacher. He says what we're doing is basically the audio equivalent of Mr. Potato Head. If you, you, I'm sure you've played that uh -huh. game. They used to use a real potato. Now they give you a plastic oval. But you'd put different noses and different mustaches and ears and eyes and things and you change the face around well this is what you're basically doing vocally mm -hmm. on an old man well it's an old man up here it's an old man down here do you give him an underbite you know what if he talked out of the side of his mouth i mean you're just flailing around and going in 15 different directions until some producer goes yeah that do that <laughs> oh my goodness yeah and and then you just lock into that and do it until the project is over. If uh, suddenly the the phone rang and they said we need you to do Honest John again, mm -hmm. I would have to sit and listen to it and sort of uh, reverse engineer it and go, how the hell did I do that? Right. And I would get it back. But do I have it filed away in some filing cabinet in my head where I have 49 voices? No. Because right. I'm, I'm constantly playing vocal Mr. Potato Head when I do this stuff. Yeah. Now that 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 makes perfect sense. People, don't, I guess it's one of those things where the assumption is, uh, yeah, like you said, like a filing cabinet. Like here's the voice, but no, it's a, it's it's a piece of this. It's a piece of that. It's 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 timbre. It's it's rhythm. It's mm -hmm. it's a different part of your your whole body that you're using. Um, people, I, people say, how many voices do you do? And my answer is, <laughs> I, hope I never find out. Right. Right. Um, so were you, okay, so being raised in, 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 well, how long did you live in Montreal then? Uh, I think we got there when I was about three years old and we left when I was 12. Okay. So, I mean, is there a memory, a strong memory of the accents? I mean, that's a, you know, it's, uh, I'm just curious what you were surrounded with to do, or was, were you getting them all from Peter Ustinov? No, uh, as I say, uh, well, the accents, probably Ustinov was the beginning for me. You would hear accents periodically in, on the radio. A lot of British. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, as a result, I've never had a problem with that. Also, my mother's English. I was born in England. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in the home, I heard this all the time. And then I would hear it on the CBC as they broadcast shows from the BBC. And so that accent has always been something that I've been able to do. Mm -hmm. But then the rest of it was what I began to pick up from Houston of and then listening to uh, other accented people in movies and television shows. Mm -hmm. uh, 
A quick side question. Has anybody ever had needed you to mimic Peter O'Toole, if only because that's the first thing I heard when you started the accent? Hmm. No, uh, up until recently, sadly, he's always been around uh, Sure. to do himself. Sure. Now he's gone, unfortunately. Right. Um, so, okay, so you, you, you grew up, uh, you moved away from, from Montreal, and then, uh, again, you, but you still had, what's your, what was your first chance to use these voices in, in some context other than the schoolyard? Oh, boy, let me think. Well, I started out as a disc jockey. Okay. And, um disc jockey and production guy and I would occasionally do an accent in a you know a commercial okay uh, I might create a character or a situation that called for an accent so there was a there was some of that uh, but mostly no I, I just sort of did it for my own amusement and to punch up jokes now here's an, an interesting and a, a rare a phenomenon. There is a Russian observer here from the All Union, uh, All Union Center of Sport and what? What is it, Mr. Volikov? All Union Center of Sports and Machinery. All, All Union Center of Sports and Machinery. Uh, now, Mr. Semyon Volikov. I hope I, I've got that right. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, you are you're watching this race? Yes, I have been sent to watch the race. And you're, I see you've got a camera slung around you. You're going to take photographs of it? That's the intention. Uh, is Russia going to produce a, a racing car soon? Uh, I can't uh, say. I'm not allowed to say. But that must be the reason why you're here. I'm afraid uh, I am not in a position to make any declaration at the moment. But could there be any other reason you're here? I'm afraid my lips must... Uh, necessarily for the moment be sealed but we have some surprises for you which will be seen in due course but i've noticed watching you mr balikov that with that camera of yours you're taking pictures mainly of the rock and not of the racing cars <laughs> i am the observer not you out of curiosity then as a kid did you ever make friends over comedy or was it mostly i'm going to impress you haha ha, i'm funny uh, I've just made a friend, or did you have anything that you shared with anybody? Obviously, you said you shared the goons with your own father, which is great, but did you have anything like that? Any friends that you made over a specific piece of comedy? Oh, I'm trying to think. Nothing's coming to mind. Okay. You know, I, I was an example of um, some guys are good at sports, some guys this, some guys that, uh, I, and some guys are great at fighting. Uh, I just found I was able to placate the schoolyard bullies by making them laugh. Mm -hmm. And so probably that's, you know, I would either avoid getting my ass kicked by making somebody laugh or just entertain friends in the lunch court. Sure. With something silly. Do you have on this album, is there a favorite, there are no tracks, but is there a favorite segment of the whole thing? I mean, it's a whole hour of this. Yeah, no, it's it's... No, there's no really favorite moment. I mean, I, I enjoyed the whole thing from from start to finish. I um, I don't know his his take on Americans, the uh, the sports car that's 
that's obviously a uh, this this giant uh, overbuilt car uh, right with too much chrome and uh, what's the, what's the line he says they're trying to lighten the car so so they can in some way be competitive in the races i don't know if there's time but if there's time we're gonna we're thinking of ditching the armrests <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing, too, is it's got... I feel like there's some stuff in there for people who like cars also because he was a big car. He was a big motorhead. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, there are bits and pieces where they're definitely above my head, even if he's even if he's faking uh, some technical stuff. But there are obviously there are bits like that would, that anybody I think can get. Is there any other? Is it is it just the accents for you, or do you? Is is there other stuff in there that maybe rings true to you that I would not for somebody like me who knows jack about cars? Oh, I, whatever you know, trust me, I know less. Okay. Okay. No, I mean a lot of that. A lot of the technical stuff he throws in there, I, I assume he there are word plays on, on real automotive parts, but right. it's lost on me because I, I don't know anything about that. The other thing, too, is that's interesting about this is it's just, it feels like an experiment. It just feels like they sat him down, he did this, he had this in the back of his head. Again, I don't know how written it was or if it was this voice this voice this concept it, i mean it feels quite tight even though it's a full hour but I, I i don't know enough about the production but can you i don't know can you imagine doing something like this first of all it would be almost impossible to sell something like this any anymore because it's almost spoken word i'm amazed that he got to do it in the first place mm -hmm. it's on the verve label mm -hmm. they primarily uh made jazz albums okay and so there is some precedent for this fantasy records in San Francisco, probably best known because Creedence Clearwater Revival was on that label. But okay. prior to that, they mostly marketed jazz records and Lenny Bruce comedy. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe this was Verve saying, "Let's try to do. Let's see what happens if we do a comedy record." Yeah. And I have no idea if the, if they sold you know forty three of these or four thousand or right. It's yeah. a relatively obscure album. I mean, you had a hell of a time tracking it. I really did because I, I you know I lucked out that I'd ever even heard of it, and I'm almost certain that I went back to my own rec my old record shop, and it's the same copy that had been there years before because it it. I just I don't know that it's like you said it's not that well known. Although I recently saw that there was a re-release, a remastered version of it out there mm. that you can, which again blew my mind because it seems like one of those things that uh, maybe it. I don't think it's dated necessarily, but it's definitely something people might not get into that easily. I mean, Ustinov is gone, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. It's it's a it's it you know it's it's of its era. It just feels like something that people might not relate to, but obviously they do enough that they released a new version of it. Yeah, I'd love I'd love to know the, the backstory, whose idea it was, how, how it got green lighted, how well it did, and then your question was it scripted? It has a sort of improvisatory feel, and mm -hmm. yet he's never he never fumfers, he's never at a loss for words, right? And he's playing all these different characters. He's talking to himself. Um, and he's doing it seems like uh, not all uh, I could be wrong but it seems not that edit heavy he seems to really be able to just back and forth which is you know one of those things I know a lot of people uh, really uh, become jealous of I know I am 
um, you know, kind of that sort of uh, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy thing mm-hmm. that you just back and forth, back and forth. Um, is I'm just curious, is that something that you, that you can do or have ever had to do, that, that kind of, like, whip whiplash kind of stuff? Yeah, it happens uh, in animation when you're playing more than one character in a show and mm-hmm. they write a scene where the two characters are talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And most of the time the director will sort of say, well, how do you want to do this? Do you want to do one character at a time? Do you want to try uh, doing both? And just sort of depending on how I feel, sometimes I'll tackle the tougher thing, which is to play both parts. Yeah. The guy who's really phenomenally good at that is uh, a, a, an actor named Frank Welker. Oh, God, yeah. And uh, I, I've told this story before. In animation... Part of the reason that they record people separately is they don't want any dialogue to overlap. Sure. Because they may need to slide a line a second up or a second down, depending on, on the picture. Mm-hmm. So whenever there's an overlap, they stop you and say, we love the performance, but there was an overlap. we got to go again. Oh. That means one actor talking on top of the other, yeah. just, just for a syllable or so. So... Uh, Frank was playing a scene, I think it was in Transformers, and he's playing both characters. And the director, Wally Burr, never looked at the actors. He always had was looking down at the storyboard, which was his job. You know, he needed to keep track of the picture. Sure. And he forgot that Frank was doing both parts. <laughs> and Frank went in and out of the two voices so quickly that Wally thought he heard an overlap. Oh, my God. It all did stop. No, we got to go in. There was an overlap. We're going, Wally, <laughs> it's all Frank. How the hell do you overlap yourself? He's, oh, God, I'm sorry. Oh, you're right. Jesus, I thought there was an overlap. Oh, That's how good Frank is. That's phenomenal. <laughs> He's another example, too, of somebody who, and I want to ask you about this, is uh, amazing at vocal sound work. Uh, I mean, Peter Ustinov's stuff is wonderful. It's very specific because it's all cars. Um, you know, it's not like Mel Blanc who could uh, just do anything that it called for. Uh, Frank Welker's another guy who's well known for that. Is that something that you can do or learn to do? Oh, not not on Frank's level. I can do a few things, but Frank is just amazing. I my gag line is, you know, one of these days a director's going to say, "Can you do an iguana farting?" And Frank will say, sure, and he'll do something, and we'll say, yep, that's it. <laughs> uh, he, one, of, one of his best things is if he gets bored, he'll stand there in front of the mic, and you can't see him move a muscle in his face. He makes this electronic noise that sounds like the console's about to explode, and engineers <laughs> leap out of their chairs and crawl under the console trying to find this short in the equipment. Oh my and it's god. Frank going or how the, I don't know how the hell he oh does. Oh my god. <laughs> it sounds like a piece of electric electrical equipment frying. And of course we're howling with laughter but that's that's ins- I mean and that comes from a totally different thing whereas you know an actor generally is an actor. I want to play characters. I want to do a voice. I want to tell a story. It is interesting to even not just have the ability but to have the desire to try and figure out how to do noises vocally. Um I again not something I can do. Uh, it's it's it is cool. It is really interesting on this album how he kind of, he gives each engine its own character too. Mm. 
He told a wonderful story, Houston, of an, in an interview, or maybe I read it. I think he, he wrote an autobiography, and I think I read that, so I don't know where I got it, but uh, the family was originally from Russia, mm -hmm. and they fled to England, I guess, uh, in the wake of the revolution, but his grandfather remained in Russia. And after things calmed down, when, when Ustinov was maybe four or five years old, the family got permission for the mother and Ustinov to go to Russia and visit the grandfather. And so they're walking in the woods, and Ustinov said, I was being a car that day. All day long, I was being a car, brum, 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 making this car noise. And at a certain point, his mother said, if this doesn't stop in a minute, I'm going to go mad. And the grandfather put his hand on her shoulder and said, think of it as his imagination developing. <laughs> and I thought, what a wonderfully perceptive thought. Cricket, football, lawn, tennis, the Gordon Bennett Trophy, uh, he's a really wonderful old sportsman and a wonderful old sport. And I think he's going to say a few words now uh, to the crowd, and he will, of course, start the race. <coughs> this is the second grand... Whatever, whatever it is, I can't read this paper. The Duroc... I want you to abide by the rules, to come out fighting, no hitting below the, as you were, as you were. I, I, uh, I want you to keep a straight bet and, uh, and abide by the uh, 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 whistle. Don't balk any other horse. Uh, uh, well, uh, run a good, clean race. No, no foot faulting. Chin up. <laughs> Don't shoot till you see the white. <laughs> well, anyway, I've carry on the old tradition. Make this a land fit for heroes. <laughs> Leave the door open for negotiation. Well, we don't want to fight, but by jingo. <laughs> There'll always be in England. Kids do silly things, but sometimes it works out wonderfully i have this mental picture i don't know if it, if it ever happened but some school marm when frank welker was nine or ten years old saying now little frankie welker if you don't stop making those silly noises you're never going to learn anything and you're never going to amount to anything <laughs> and when i think of the success this guy's had uh, you know, anybody that's listening to this, go to IMDB and put Frank Welker's name in. And the I think he's up to something like 680 credits now. I think Jeez. he has more credits than any other actor in, in the business at this point. Yeah, he might have beaten Christopher Lee at this point. That's insane. That's that's just I. Well, it's a bit unfair. An actor works on a movie. He sure. may work it for months. We go in and do one thing in an hour, and we get a credit, same as if we'd done an entire movie. Right. So it's a little misleading, but still, Frank, Frank's track record is just astounding. Uh, and I mean, I'm not mistaken, right? That he's still the voice of Freddy whenever they do Scooby Doo. Far as I know. Jesus. Yeah. I, well, that, well, that's another thing. Uh, I mean, so you've been doing. 
you've been doing voices long enough for your voice to metamorphosize. Can you, I mean, is there, are there things that you can do not to completely, you know, give up your secrets, but, uh, to just bring a little, uh, you know, a little youth back. I mean, obviously everybody loves a deep, uh, you know, a, a deep voice. You probably always had something of that, but is, is there some, I mean, I don't know how he, he's in his seventies, right? And he can still do that voice. So no, I think Frank's a little younger a little than younger. I, okay. Okay. Late, still in his sixties. Okay. All right. So I, I guess I assume because he's been around so long that he must be older than he is. But uh, is there anything that one can do to one's voice to just completely just flip back the years? Well, I you know it voices are so sort of unique to the individual. I hear mm -hmm. interesting things happening over the years. Guys who had really deep, resonant voices when they were young, as mm -hmm. they get older, they lose that resonance. Sure. Um, some people have very identifiable timbers in their voice, and uh, other people have what I would, what I kind of describe as a a plastic voice, in that it's very manipul manipul. I can't say the word. <laughs> it's easily manipulated. Uh huh. And, you know, I can go up in here, I can still hit that note, that area that I got into when I did Keith in uh, Voltron. Mm -hmm. It's still there. I have to sort of concentrate a little harder to find it, but it's still there. But that's me. Right. Right. No, uh, uh, chronologically, I'm old, and <laughs> most people would expect me to start talking <laughs> like this, you know, but... It has it hasn't happened. I assume if I'm around long enough, eventually things will happen to me physiologically to to where I will sound like a quote unquote old man. But uh, but it hasn't happened yet. A lot of it has to do with the way you've lived. You know, sure. if you drank too much or smoked too much. I've got a a relative who's younger than me. And oh, that's young. This one, you know, and it, it's it's cigarettes, oh and booze, right. Did you, so how long were you a DJ for and did you get to develop, I mean, you said you got to do some voices, but did you get to develop anything or was it just luck of the draw if you ever got to do anything and... It depended on the station who I was working for, but, you know, most of the, most of the time <laughs> there would be this recurring theme. It would be, can you make, come in my office for a minute? Okay. You know those little voices you do, those little <laughs> characters, you know? God, they're funny. They make me laugh. Uh, don't do them anymore. <laughs> um, oh. That's a part of the reason why I got out of radio mm -hmm. when, I, when I finally discovered that this voiceover business actually existed. Right. Was because I thought, I'm really only using a third of my talent, if you will, in radio, I need to, and this voiceover lark sounds like I could use just about 100% of what I have to offer, give or take, depending on the project. Sure. I just, you know, back then, I mean, everybody knows about voiceovers now. It's, it's sure. ridiculous. But back in the late 60s, it was a very well-kept secret. Right. And I, you know, I was busy in the production studio and radio stations making commercials and promos. And then part of my job would be to dub the um, 
commercials that came in from the big ad agencies in New York and L.A., I would have to dub them onto tape cartridges for us to play on the air. Oh, okay. And I would hear these uh, voiceover I didn't know they were voiceover people. I would hear these voices, and I would think, why are they so, why do they sound so much better than I do? Right. Do they have better microphones? Well, they probably did, but they also were far more polished, professional, and talented than I was. Mm -hmm. But I began to wonder, who are they? And who are these people who do the cartoons? And who are these people that narrate the documentaries? And who are these people that voice the TV commercials? Are they on-camera people moonlighting to make a couple extra bucks? Right. Which they probably were in some cases. Mm -hmm. But then a, a, a magic day in 1970, I was having a conversation with a record promoter who was down from Los Angeles, and he said the magic words, voiceovers. And I said, what the hell's that? He said, oh, you know, cartoons, promos, commercials, voiceovers. He was talking about a, a guy who was very successful in that business. And I said, you mean you can make a living just doing He said, make a living? The guy I'm talking about is a multimillionaire. Shoot. Oh. And I sudden, I realized, oh, my God, there, there, there's hope for me. Right. I, I never, you know, thought in terms of making millions. I thought if I can just make a living at this. Right. And get, a, get away from these horrible people in radio who most of them were, not the talent. The air guys were fine. I'm talking about management. Sure. Horrible, horrible people, with a few a few exceptions. If I can just get a, get out of the clutches of these bastards and, and get into voiceovers, uh, life will be good. And and that that's pretty much what happened. Oh, that, see, that's amazing. I mean, it is... It's uh, the 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 only sad part, of course, is that the radio you got into was very quickly not the radio you listened to, you know, as a kid. And that's, you know, I mean, that's that that'll never come back. I don't think we've, we, you know, that's what podcasts are for now. I guess is uh, yeah. you know nice audio entertainment, and uh, obviously, you know, records are are good, but even those are I <laughs> I'm aware that I'm I there. Part of me is an old man for appreciating them as much as I do, but. Um, yeah, I mean, again, th th you had the opportunity, and but it was kind of this, <laughs> it was kind of thrown at you, and uh, that's uh, that's that's fascinating to me, that you got, you know, you, you were in what's what could have been the dream job if it had been like you said, forty years before. <laughs> yeah, it's I, it just sort of over the years I've realized, particularly now that I'm able to hear a lot of these shows on a regular basis. Because I have Sirius XM, mm -hmm. and there's a channel on there that does nothing but play these old-time radio shows, and I listen to oh. them. And then I, I had an opportunity to talk to a few of the guys who were still around, um, like John Stevenson, mm -hmm. who I, I hear on some of these shows. And it knocks me out to think that I, I knew this guy and worked with him. That's amazing. And he told me about it. It sounds like they had a great life. I mean, the um, let's see, CBS was in those days on um, Sunset Boulevard mm -hmm. at Gower. Oh, okay. And then, and then a few blocks uh, away from that was NBC, and then up the block was ABC. I mean, these the studios were all within walking distance mm -hmm. of each other. And uh, there was a coffee shop where they would all meet. And I also worked uh, and knew uh, Vic Perrin quite well, who uh -huh. was a one wonderful character actor and did a lot of radio drama. 
and he talked to me about being in gun smoke. Oh. Because they used to use the same people over and over again playing villains and, you know, incidental roles. Sure. I, I guess because it wasn't television, so you couldn't see the faces. And it was on once a week, so you sort of didn't necessarily memorize the voices. Right. So Vic, uh, even though he didn't have a recurring part, he was under contract, and he would, for a long time, he was in almost every episode of Gunsmoke playing some kind of saddle tramp or saloon rat. And uh, he tells, he tells, uh, he would tell stories of, uh, you know, working with these folks, and I just, I, I would think, I thought to myself, that's where I should have been. Yeah. That's what I should have been doing. Uh. Of course... If I had, I'd be long dead by now. <laughs> that is true. I, you know, it honestly it gets me thinking that I, I would, I would do just about anything, uh, to to watch a recording of a live. I, it could be a new script or an old script, but honestly, if it was all just, uh, the voiceover people we've we've come to know and love over the last 30, 40 years, getting together because I mean that would just be kind of that needs to happen i don't know uh, how me i'm just going to put it out into the ether that needs to absolutely happen i would just that would just kill me that would be amazing i think they are doing some recreates of radio shows i was talking to chuck mccann mm -hmm. and he's apparently been doing some of these i i don't i can't tell you who does it or where mm -hmm. or, but it, they are doing them apparently that's see that's good to know and actually chuck mccann's a gentleman i've been trying to get on the podcast too if only for his uh, involvement with uh, the first family um, which is another album that we oddly have never done on this podcast, even though everybody owned that album at one point. Um, well, what I like to do towards the end is, and this is a perfect example of an album that most people probably haven't heard, so I always like to ask, what's a good reason to pick this up? If somebody was able to find this and listen to it, what's, what's your endorsement of it? Well, it's just, it's fascinating to hear this one man create this whole imaginary world and situation and I don't know 15 different characters right. and hear it all hear it all play out and I I just find it fascinating because uh, again these characters are so well delineated that you can you know damn well it's just one guy doing it and yet in your mind's eye, you can see them. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com.